my name is Stuart Mazel. I'm the uh, lead pastor here. It's great to see all of you here. Thank you for those of you who are joining us uh, as visitors. Thank you for those of you who are joining us online. Uh, thank you for braving the cold today and actually being here because it's it is cold and I'm very thankful that you're here. Uh, today we are continuing our series called Tell Me Something Good. And we've been looking at how, uh, number one, something that is good is that Jesus is for sinners. We saw that the first Sunday. Last Sunday we talked about how Jesus pays the debt of our sin and how that is good news to us. Uh, today we're going to be talking about something that is maybe on some of your minds, but maybe not. And so we'll see what the Spirit does with this, but I think it is something that is very important for us to understand and hold on to by faith. Otherwise, uh, we could be just meandering all over the place in our faith. So we're going to be looking at the book of Galatians today. Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. And this is what the Holy Spirit through the authorship of Paul, not only said to the church in Galatia 2,000 years ago, but is saying to the church today. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, by your Spirit, give us what we need today to understand your word, but not just understand it, but to believe it in the deepest parts of our hearts and souls. Give us what we need to receive this good news and to live in light of it. For your glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, we pray this. Amen. You know, I have often found that it is very helpful to uh, listen to other people that you may not normally listen to, just to get another perspective on things. Because, uh, let's face it, we're in a Presbyterian church, so most of the time when I'm quoting somebody in a sermon, it's going to be Martin Luther, John Calvin, it's going to be you know Charles Spurgeon or John Owen, it's going to be C.S. Lewis or Tim Keller, Occasionally, I'll get on an Octavius Winslow kick. I don't know why. It's, I just love that guy. But today, I would like for us to hear from the erudite sagacity of the sagiest of sages, Sammy Hagar. Now, I hope you know that's a joke. If you're not familiar with Mr. Hagar, he is a musical artist of the rock and roll persuasion. And he started his career with the hard rock band Montrose, which I'm sure all of you have heard of. Um, then he had a fairly successful solo career 
with his biggest hit in 1984, I Can't Drive 55. But he hit the height of his success when he replaced David Lee Roth as lead singer for Van Halen in 1985. And while he was with Van Halen, or Van Hagar as some people called him, the band produced four multi-platinum number one billboard charting albums and nine number one mainstream rock hits. So at least he's successful in the area of music. So what might we learn from Mr. Hagar today? Well, back in the 1990s, the late 1990s, uh, Doug Van Pelt did an interview with Mr. Hagar, and he asked him his views on religion. Now, to be fair to Sammy Hagar, there's no way I'm going to read all of what he said because it is a meandering mess. But I am going to pick and choose a few of his phrases, a few of his sentences, so that you can hear the general gist of his views on religion. Are you ready? Okay, so here's what he says. So he's asked about religion, and he says... This is what he believes. You can do whatever you want as long as you don't hurt another person. There are certain rules that you follow. The Ten Commandments. Let's take those for example. And then a little later on he says, if you don't obey these rules, you will not go to heaven and not be in touch with God. But there are some other rules as well. He doesn't say what those rules are, but anyway, that's where the meandering mess comes in. And then he says, and God made it pretty easy on us. Those rules are so simple. The Ten Commandments. I mean, humans are so stupid that they had to finally simplify it. Just don't use God's name in vain. I mean, how simple is that? Okay. Don't kill someone. Okay. It's just really simple, man. Anybody in their right mind could live by those rules. Thus saith Sammy Hagar. What Mr. Hagar is advocating here, of course, is the idea that in order to be right with God, we simply have to obey whatever commands he gives us, like the Ten Commandments. And quite honestly, he's not alone in that idea. There are plenty of people in our own nation, in Sumter, South Carolina, who believe some version of God grades me based on my performance. Right? If I want a good grade from God, I've got to perform. I've got to do enough good things. And whenever I hear that, the one question always comes to my mind is this. How good is good enough? How good is good enough? And and even if all we think we have to do is our good has to outweigh our bad, the question is, how do we know if the scale has been tipped in our favor? If you're a thoughtful, self-reflective person, 
this is a frightening idea. That my only hope before the just judge of all the universe who knows all, who sees all, who can know my thoughts as well as my actions and my words, my only hope before that just judge hinges on my performance, on my efforts. Today, the good news that I want to share with you is this. We are right with God, not because of our efforts, but because of Jesus. We are right with God, not because of our efforts, but because of Jesus. If there is anyone in this room or anyone hearing what I'm saying right now, if you are right with God, it is not because you did enough good things. It is because of Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about today and see what good news this really, really is. So in Galatians 2, verses 15 through 16, that I read just a few moments ago, Paul starts off by saying, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Now what he's saying here is he's writing to a group that there are some, there are some Jewish people there, but they're mostly Gentiles. And he's saying to them, hey, you know, we're Jews. We grew up with the law. We grew up with the scriptures. We grew up hearing about God and all of the things that God commands us to do. We grew up with all of that. And even we know, verse 16, that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's why we believed in Christ Jesus, in order to be justified by faith in Christ, and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Now that word justified is a word that when we use it in our society, we usually mean I'm trying to justify myself. You know, you do something wrong, somebody calls you on it, and you say, well, it wasn't my fault. Here's the reasons why you should give me a pass. That's what we usually mean when we talk about being justified. But what he's talking about here is being right with God. If we were to reread this, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not right with God by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, so that we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be right with God by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because works of the law, by works of the law, no one will be right with God. Do, do you hear what he's saying there? The basic gist is, you cannot be right with God by your works, by your efforts. And Paul talks about this in other places. One is Romans 3.20, and he gives us a little bit more knowledge of why this is the case. Romans 3.20 says, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified, will be right in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. See, what Paul is getting across here is that when God gives us his commands, one of the purposes that he has for giving those commands 
is to show us, A, what sin is, and B, just how eat up we are with it. Paul says something along these lines in Romans 7, 7 through 8. Hear what he says. If it had not been for the law, if it had not been for God's law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. It's sort of like, you know, and I've used this illustration many times before, it's sort of like when you're walking along the street and you see the sign in the yard that says, keep off the grass. Now, you had no desire to walk on that grass before, but as soon as you see that sign, you want to at least put your toe on it. Because that's what the law does. It stirs up what's already in there. And part of what Paul is saying here is, if we think we can obey God's law, then we really don't understand God's law. Think about the Israelites during the time of Moses. Now, for those of you who may not recall this or know this, so God uh, brought people out of Egypt, out of slavery by Moses, and he was bringing them to the promised land. And on the way, they stopped at this mountain called Mount Sinai, and that's where God gave the Israelites the Ten Commandments. And he gave it to Moses, and he brought it down the mountain to them. And in Exodus 24, verse 4, we see that Moses wrote down all the words that the Lord had given him. And then in verse 7, then he took the book of the covenant and he read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, now this is God's people, right? And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. We're going to do it all. We're going to obey every single command. And do it perfectly. And you know what happened? Within just a few chapters, if you're reading through Exodus, they had made a golden calf and were worshiping it. That's how quickly the law produces ugliness in us. It just brings the sin that's already there out. That's part of what God wants to do by his law. He says, here's what I command. Can you do it? And for us to go, sure, I can do it. No, I can't. I just already messed up. And that's part of the problem, if I can go back to Mr. Hagar, that's part of the problem that he has. And I'm not trying to harp on him, it's just we all have this problem. We all tend to think that the Ten Commandments are easier to obey than they really are. Because the truth is, those commands are not easy to obey because we are a sin-infected people. And because we are people who are infected with sin, the law of God stirs up within us what's already there. So to summarize what we've heard so far, we're all sinners, every one of us. We're likely more sinful than we think we are. And... Even when we try to obey God's law, sin's ugly head pops up and taints even our best efforts. 
And that's why the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 3.10, and he's quoting from Deuteronomy 27.26, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. (laughs) For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So here's what Paul's saying. Hey, if you want to rely on works of the law, if you want to rely on your obedience to the law, go ahead, but that puts you under a curse. Because if you want to rely on works of law for your right standing before God, you have to obey everything perfectly. Perfectly. And there's not one of us that can say we've done that. That sounds like bad news. But that's where the good news comes in. You see, uh, so first, Thomas Boston, in his book, A View of the Covenant of Works, I told you I would quote some Puritan people, uh, salvation by works of our own is quite impossible. There is no life nor salvation to be had by the law. Will you bring your good meanings and desires, your repentance, your obedience, such as it is, and think to get life and salvation and acceptance with God thereby? Remember, and this is a weird phrase, if you will be for doing to live, in other words, if you're doing this in order to live, your obedience must be perfect and perpetual. And if you fail, you are under the curse. That leads us to the good news of what Paul says in Galatians 2, 16. Let's read it again. We know that a person is not justified by works. He's not right with God by the works of the law. He's not uh, justified. He's not right with God by doing. But through faith in Jesus Christ. So, we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified, in order to be right with God, by faith in Christ, and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, by doing, by effort, no one... No one, no one will be justified. Not one. So if you think you've got it, and you think you can make it all on your own, just keep thinking that, but you are putting yourself under the curse. And I don't think it will be a pleasant place to be. That is the good news, though, is that Jesus, it's Jesus that makes us right with God. Not our efforts, not what I bring to the table, but what Jesus brings to the table. And you might be asking, well, how does that work, Stuart? I mean, I'm the one who's doing the things. Jesus is over there. I mean, he's somewhere else. How does that work? And there are all kinds of ways that we can explain this but I want to use this illustration that I think is very, at least for my benefit, it has been extremely helpful in me understanding what's happening here. For those of us who believe, as our head and husband, Jesus shares with us all that is his, including his righteous status. Let me say that again. As our head and husband, 
For those of us who are in the, those of us who believe, those of us who are in the covenant community of the church and we believe these truths, he is our head, he is our husband. And because he's our head and because he's our husband, Jesus shares with us all that is his, including his righteous status. See, there are several places in the scriptures that talk about Jesus being a head and a husband. I'm going to just show you two, just so you see I'm not pulling this out of thin air. Uh, Colossians 1.18, Jesus is the head of the body, the church. And in Revelation 19.7, let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb, that's Jesus, has come and his bride, that's the church, has made herself ready. So, for those of us who believe, we look at Jesus and we recognize he is our head and we are the body. He is our husband and we are the spouse. Okay? You got that that metaphor, that understanding? Think about it. When your head enjoys a nice, juicy piece of steak, I mean, it is cooked just to perfection and you put that, that meat in your mouth and you savor it for all that it is, it is not just your head that enjoys that. Your whole body is nourished by that tasty morsel. Right? In the same way, in a good marriage, now let's face it, there are not good marriages, but in a good marriage, the husband and wife, they share with each other and if the husband has something, he shares it with his spouse. So much so that if, let's just say, there's a, a poor woman, she's under the poverty line, can't even, can't, not, she doesn't even have a job, doesn't make ends meet, can't, just living on the street, and a rich billionaire comes by and says, I want to marry you. And she says, okay. And they get married. Her status immediately goes from poor to rich. And she hasn't done anything. It's because her husband is sharing the wealth with her. You see what I'm saying? And so that's how it works with Jesus and those of us who believe. Herman Bovink says this in Our Reasonable Faith when he says, There is no sharing in the benefits of Christ unless we share in his person. There is no sharing in the benefits of Christ. You can't get a benefit from Jesus unless you share in his person. For the benefits are not to be separated from the person. And conversely, there is no fellowship with the person of Christ without a sharing in his treasures and benefits. Christ gives himself and all his benefits to the church through the Holy Spirit. He keeps nothing for himself. He keeps nothing for himself. He is the head that when he eats, the good, it is spread throughout the whole body. He is the husband who, though he is rich, he is willing to share his riches with those who are his spouse. 
Now, last week we talked about how Jesus pays our debt. Sin is a debt, and Jesus paid for it by going to the cross, and he took all of our sin upon himself, right? He took, we shared our sinfulness with him. Now, he didn't become a sinner, but he did share in the penalty of our sin at the cross. And then with his resurrection, he shares with us his righteous status. Thirty-three years of living perfectly for God's glory. Thirty-three years of every day waking up and loving God and loving neighbor perfectly. Thirty-three years of never, ever giving in to temptation. And when you believe in Jesus... Jesus says, you're my body, you're my spouse, what's mine is yours, here is my righteousness. It's not just that we're forgiven of sins, we are also justified, right with God. When God looks at us, he sees us through his Son, his righteous perfect son. And, and so, like the, the, the debt scenario, when you are in debt and someone pays your debt, where are you at that point? You're out of the red, but you're not in the black. You're at zero. What Jesus has done for us is he's not gotten us out of the red, just gotten us out of the red. He's put us in the black, way in the black. So far in the black that we could never do it on our own. It's all of his obedience credited to us. Like we said at the very beginning of the service, it's like we're robed in righteousness, covering us fully and completely so that when God the Father looks at us in judgment, what he sees is his perfect son. That, my friends, is good news. It's not about your efforts. It's not about your works. It's not about how good you are. It's about Jesus and how good he is. And he is perfectly good. And he shares with all who believe this wonderful righteousness. So you might be going, well, okay, well, what do I have to do to receive that righteousness? What do I have to do to get this. Yeah, that sounds great. I would love to stand before God on the day of judgment and be covered in the righteousness of the most perfect person that has ever lived. What do I need to do? I'll do anything. Tell me, tell me, tell me. What do I need to do? Here's where the good news gets even better. Because all we do to receive this righteous status is believe. That's it. All we do to receive this righteous status is believe. That's all we do. We do not bring anything else to the table. All we do is believe. And even your belief is a gift. But that's for another sermon. Galatians 2.16. Let's read it again. We know that a person is not justified. He's not right 
before God by works of the law, by his obedience, by his efforts, but through faith, by believing in Jesus Christ. So we have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be right with God, justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. And if you're thinking, that sounds way too easy. That sounds way too simple. That sounds like it can't be true. If you can't believe Paul, at least believe Jesus. Here's what he says. John 5, 24. Truly, 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 I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. There is no more judgment for those who have the righteousness of Christ. There is no condemnation. No matter what your sin is, what you bring to the table, Jesus paid for that debt, and then, and then he says, Here is my bank account of righteousness. Write your name right there and you get it all. Every penny of my righteousness. It's all yours. That's some good news, folks. It's not about earning brownie points. It's not about how many gold stars you get behind your name. It's not about the number of being, the number of being good, a good person points that you rack up. It's not about how many likes you get. It's not about how many attaboys and pats on the back you get. It's not about the applause you generate. It's about Jesus. 33 years of perfection credited to your account if you believe. And he gives that to you simply because he chooses to. Not because of anything you've done. And all you have to do is believe it. Believe it. So here's an action point. Believe. (laughs) Believe. Believe the good news that sinners are considered righteous because of Jesus. And if you're finding that this truth is just a little bit too good to be true, I've got a prayer for you. Father, I hear in your word that people are not made right with you by what they do, but through faith in Jesus who has done it all. I want to believe this. Help me believe it. Help me believe it in the depths of my soul. Help me to believe it when I wake up on Monday morning and go to bed on Tuesday night. Help me believe it when I'm in the middle of sinning and I go, oh, why am I doing this? Help me believe it every moment of every day so that I live in light of the freedom that I have in you that says paid in full and here's your bank account of righteousness, perfect, credited to you. It's like uh, Martin Luther in his Heidelberg Disputation says, and I'm closing with this. 
The law says, do this, and it is never done. You experience that? The commands of God say, do this, do it, do it, do it, do it, and it's never done. But grace says, believe in this, and everything is already done. Because Jesus has done it all in your place. Believe that. So let's celebrate, folks. Let's celebrate that Jesus truly is our righteousness. And let me pray for us that we'll be able to do that. Lord Jesus, thank you for being our righteousness. Thank you for being perfect in your obedience. Perfect in saying no to temptation. Perfect in every single way and that you share that perfection with us when we believe. For everyone in this room and everyone listening online and everyone who will listen to this message, Holy Spirit, stir up within us real faith that will receive this good news and we will celebrate that it's not by the works that we do, but it is simply because of your grace, your goodness, your kindness, and what you have given to us in the Lord Jesus, in his perfection, dying in our place, rising from the dead, giving us all of his righteousness. Let that be the rock that we all stand on. Amen. Oh,